well, God is good uh, in the midst of our brokenness, no pun intended, amen, hallelujah. Um, we are going to be picking up uh, where we left off. We are, we are in a new series, uh, and continuing a new series this week. We've been in a new series called Contrast, um, When Worldviews Collide. So this series, we've been dipping into the book of Acts a little bit deeper um, and looking at the ways that the early church, uh, who is following Jesus, uh, lived differently than the culture and kind of the Roman rule and dominance during that time. So last week we looked uh, at, at the story where this man uh, who was lame uh, since birth uh, rose up and was healed uh, in the name of Jesus. And so this morning we're going to be kind of looking at uh, what happened after that. What happened, what was kind of the response to this miraculous thing that happened for everyone to see who was kind of publicly uh, out in, in the open during this time. And I titled this, this part, uh, this is part two of our series, and the title of this morning's message, if you're taking notes, is Credit Where It's Due. And I want to kind of lead us off this morning is with the question, what would the world look like uh, without comedy? Can we just ponder that for a second? You know what I'm saying? Like, some of you, like, ever watch, like, a good, like, stand-up comedian? It's just, like, you watch that because it brings you so much joy, right? You watch it because it makes you laugh. Like, comedy is a good thing. Some people like to watch comedy movies because it's just like, hey, I don't want something that's deep or, like, super heavy. Like, there's a lot of heavy movies uh, that are being released right now. And sometimes it's like, hey, like, I just need to lighten up and watch a good old comedy. And here's what I know. People are impressed by the power of comedy. Like, you know what I mean? If you're a good joke teller, if you're a person that can make somebody laugh or smile, like, that's a gift, right? That is powerful. And this is in the same way during this time, people were impressed by a different power. People were more impressed by the supernatural power of magic. Magicians during this time in Roman rule and in this era uh, were people that would perform different rituals and things and were able to perform supernatural type abilities, right? And uh, this morning, we're going to kind of look at this big contrast that exists in the scriptures. Because in magic culture, the magician would be the one to receive all of the glory. They were the ones that they, they received the credit. And we're going to look at this story where Peter, who just performed a healing on somebody, begins to give or point the credit in a different direction. There's been a miracle that we're seeing in the scriptures and Peter, what he's trying to do in this section of scripture that we're going to look about or look at is he's trying to assure that the credit gets placed in the right in the right direction, right? Peter is going to correct the misunderstanding of a miracle. And it reminds me as we're talking about kind of about comedy, right? Uh, have you ever met that guy, right? That guy. And you're like, well, what do you mean by that? I'm talking about the guy that um, if you've ever been around a group of people that um, he's a funny person, but he doesn't say the joke loud enough. So you have that guy who hears the joke and didn't say the joke loud enough who decides to take the joke from the person and be that guy by saying the joke louder and then becomes the life of the party, right? Have you, you guys tracking me through me for a second? I've been that guy before. I was like, that was funny. You know what? Nobody heard that. Let me just tell the joke. And everybody's like, <laughs> TD, you're so funny. You know what I mean? I've, I've been that guy before. How many of you guys know that guy's annoying, right? That guy is annoying. I've been there before. I, 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 I've been that guy, right? Um, the obnoxious guy. That guy's funny. And, and this is, this is so, what was so interesting is the same thing happened in this situation. This guy was healed. Peter prays over this guy, speaks in the name of Jesus. You've been lame since birth. Stand up and walk. And this guy walk, stands up, right? So the onlookers during that time, in the same way, they're like, that, that was a funny joke, right? 
let's give this guy credit because he's the one who announced the joke. In the same way, people were like, well, this guy just told that guy to stand up and walk. So obviously this guy right here, Peter, this guy is powerful. But this morning, what if I were to tell you that any miracle you've ever heard, seen, or experienced was 100% without a shadow of a doubt God's doing? This morning, what if I were to tell you that things that you've experienced in this life that can't be explained are 100% God's absolute doing? What if I were able to convince you that the reason you have breath in life today is 100% without a shadow of a doubt God's doing? Not some freak occurrence, not some random cosmic occurrence that existed in this universe, but what Peter's doing, he's pointing to a direct cause. And he points to a cause, and that cause is Jesus. So we're going to look at Acts chapter 3, verses 11 through 16. So we're just going to read through the whole thing, and then we're going to kind of just piece our way through it uh, and break it down. So here we go. Acts chapter 3, if you're following along in your Bibles, if not, we got it up on the screen for you. This is the new international version up on the screen. If you got a different translation, that's okay. That's cool. Uh, starting with verse 11, it says, While the man held on to Peter and John, all the people were astonished and came running to them in the place called Solomon's Colonnade, right? So we have this man who has been healed. He's getting back up on his feet, and he's blowing people's mind. And verse 12 says, When Peter saw this, he said to them, Fellow Israelites, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness we had made this man walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus. You handed him over to be killed, and you disowned him before Pilate, though he had decided to let him go. You disowned the holy and righteous one and asked that a murderer be released to you. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. We are witnesses of this. By faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has completely healed him, as you can all see. Let's pray together this morning. Lord, we invite you into our space this morning, Lord. I just pray that in terms of our lives, in terms of answers that we have out of our finite minds, Lord, we, we, we sometimes want to default to the natural. But, God, you are a God of supernatural power. So, Lord, would you just remind us this morning where our help comes from? Lord, we want to give credit where it's due. So, Lord, wherever there's disconnect in our hearts, our minds, our thoughts about life, our ideologies, our thoughts about you, Lord, would you transform that, God? Would you change that this morning? Would we be able to be people that begin to understand and relate to you on a deeper level, Lord? And we're thankful that this morning you are a God who is not distant, but you are a God who wants to be relational and offer opportunity to be in relationship this morning. So, Lord, bless us as we just dive into your word, which is powerful. Lord, be powerful, Lord God, as your word goes forth this morning, as we dive into it deeper. In Jesus' name. And everybody said? Amen, amen. So let's, let's, we'll start back up with uh, verse 11, Acts chapter 3 this morning. Verse 11, that first verse, it says, While the man held on to Peter and John, all the people were astonished and came running to them in the place called Solomon's Colonnade. And I think this is so interesting, right? Because people came to see what was happening. We live in a day and age on earth where people aren't running to the doors of the church. Come on. 
We can be ignorant to the fact that this is happening, but this is a reality. So this is amazing because we're seeing the church exist for the very first time. And in its most purest form, we see ministry happening. And rather than people like, I don't want to get in on that. You know what? I don't like what happens in church. I see churches that are doing things, but they're not actually helping the world. We live in a day and age where people are able to call out churches crap, right? And this, during the purest form of the early church, what is happening here? People are being healed. The power of God is being released. And rather than people running away, people are astonished and running towards what God is doing. But I believe Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. Come on, that same power that was unleashed, that same ministry that God gives opportunity for is available for us today. So as the church, what will we do? People had just walked, lived, breathed with Jesus, saw him do miracles, and now we see Peter, who's experienced this amazing empowerment and fulfillment of God as he pours his Holy Spirit out in the first couple chapters of Acts. He speaks life into somebody, and this man who is disabled since birth is healed and stands upon his feet. The power that was released brought astonishment. You ever been astonished before? Ever had a moment in your life you just you just dumbstruck, awestruck, just whoa, what? I'll never forget it as a child. 1995, 1996, I was in Toys R Us, and I turned around, and I was used to seeing Super Mario run across the screen in a linear direction, and there was this screen set up, and there was Super Mario in 64-bit, three-dimensionally, running around, and I was like, this can't be real, Right? Santa, be good to me this year, right? You know, and he was, he was, you know what I'm saying? Uh, I remember that. I remember that moment because I was astonished. I was like, this is impossible. This blows my framework away. I'm used to Mario being the way Mario has always been, right? Yeah, the graphics got better. Yeah, things got better. But this is three-dimensional. Mario's running up and down. There's camera angles that I've never seen before. This has astonished me. This is blowing my framework wide open. The same reaction these people got out of this power that had just been unleashed because it was unique to what they typically experienced. This was different than a supernatural power that magicians would call on. Because as we talked about last week, simply by the name of Jesus of Nazareth, this guy stood up on his feet. Didn't stand there laboring for hours, calling upon different gods, trying to unleash magic, but said one simple phrase, and this man stood up and walked. There was a difference. This was the church in pure form. And people were flocking to see what was happening. Let's continue in the next verse, verse 12. It says, when Peter saw this, he seized the astonishment. And rather than Peter being like, hey, we got some church growth about to happen, what does he say? He's like, fellow Israelites, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us if by our own power or godliness we had made this man walk? There's this contrast happening. Because the expectation was, obviously, you did some magic formula that allowed this guy to walk. You, Sir Peter, are powerful, and we want to get in on whatever power that's all about. You, obviously, are somebody that's power. How did you get connected to that power? There's a contrast happening. 
Because people have the expectation they've had in terms of how supernatural power existed during this day. And this power, once again, it looked different. And Peter's saying to the Israelites, these are Jewish, the Jewish people, the people that were following fervently after God, following God's laws. These weren't like secular outsider people. These are people that are familiar with God, his plans, his purposes. These were God's people, but there was a contrast in the way that they viewed the world, and there was a different expectation. And Peter's saying, hold on a second. I'm going to need to build a bridge for you to understand what type of power is happening here. He's basically saying, why do you carry this old worldview when there's a new view that has already proven itself? He's like, I walked, I talked, I lived with Jesus. I was a part of his ministry. I've been seeing miracles happen left and right. And why is there this disconnect? So Peter's saying, hey, let me bring a little bit of clarity. It's like that guy, right, who announces the joke. It's like in the middle of the gathering, after everybody thinks that guy's funny, he says, you know what, first, let me just stop. This never happens. But can you imagine with me if it happened? You know what, you need to know this. Hey. That actually wasn't my joke. That was actually his joke. I just said it louder. It, it just, you know what I'm saying? Bringing a little bit of clarity to the source. Saying, you know what? Let me humble myself. Let not everybody think I'm the source of the comedy, but let me push and let you understand that that actually wasn't my joke. Taking that place and saying, let's give credit where credit is due. Let's continue on to verse 13, the first half of verse 13 there. And, and Peter uses a phrase here that we've got, we got to think about. We've got to ponder for a second. He, he says, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant, Jesus. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. If you were a Jewish person, if you were an Israelite during this time, this phrase started allowing things to bubble up in your heart according to your personal history. Jewish history, in, in terms of the book of Exodus that we read in the scriptures, we understand that this was a book that talks about Jewish, the Jewish people's escape from slavery. They were slaves in Egypt, and God opened a door for God to do something miraculous through this leader, Moses. So where this phrase even comes from, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, many of us are familiar with the story, right? The, par the Red Sea becomes parted, like God's people escape. Moses leads God's people to escape from the slavery and bondage that they were in, in Egypt. But before all these events went down, God revealed himself very specifically in, in the form of a burning bush. If you want God to get your attention, come on. He's going to reveal himself in a way that says, hey, Moses, I know that you stutter. I know that you think you're an imperfect leader. I know that maybe you've disqualified yourself. But let me reveal myself in a form of a burning bush and remind you that the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, those leaders that experience God's grace and leadership before you, Moses, that same God is going to do something powerful through you. In the form of a burning bush, Moses probably was like, I don't really have a choice because God is real. Anybody ever had that moment in your life before? Yep, God's real. You know what I mean? Like, okay, you got me. Um, this is the moment that Moses had. In a moment where he didn't think he could do it, God gave him no other choice but to understand that God is powerful and he's going to do what he promised. So let's think about this for a second. When Peter brings this phrase 
for the Jewish people during this time, he's saying this. He's saying, come on, let's connect the dots here. Because that same God who was in the form of a burning bush that allowed your people to be freed from slavery, that goodness, that slavery, that freedom, those bonds that were breaking, those chains that were falling to the floor as those people were free is the same freedom that Jesus is doing today. Come on, somebody. That same freedom that your people experience, let me point you and give credit where it's due. What you're seeing Jesus doing, it's all in the same pool and cosmic grace of what God is doing on this earth. God has sent his son to walk on this earth. And what did we do? We murdered him. But he's reminding them, he's speaking their language, and he's saying, just a second. That God that did all of those things that's deep within your history. That's deep within your tradition. That same God is continuing in his power, in his glory, in the form of Jesus today. Peter's quoting this passage, and he's basically saying, it's happening again. That God and this power are one in the same. It's kind of like comedy. Funny is funny, right? If you think something's funny... If a funny joke came from somebody's mouth, that probably means that person's kind of funny, right? It's as simple as that. It's connecting the dots of understanding. Come on, deep down when you know and you sense what is good, it is good. And that goodness from your history up to this point has been clearly displayed through the grace and the love and the ministry of Jesus. Jesus throughout his ministry continued to give burning bush moments that were undeniable. And now we see a time and a place where he's allowing his servants to execute that same power that Jesus showed as he walked. We continue on with that second half of that verse. Peter goes on, he says, you handed him over to be killed, right? You disowned him before Pilate, though he had decided to let him go. He's speaking of this servant, Jesus, that he's referred to. And he's starting to talk about this circumstance we know that the book of Acts is actually a sequel to the gospel of Luke. And if you read the gospel of Luke, you get all the, the life story of Jesus, his death, his resurrection, right? But before he was crucified, basically Jesus went on trial. And there was this high-ranking Roman official named Pilate that, that Peter's referring to. But Jesus also throughout this section of scripture is being referred to as the servant. So for people during this time, there was a story in Exodus that they would remember but there's also prophecies that have been given that spoke forth of things that were to come, a Messiah that was to come. And so when people started talking about a servant, immediately their minds would go or be anchored in a place within their scriptures that was in Isaiah chapter 53. So without reading the full chapter, I just want to look at Isaiah chapter 53, verses 11 through 12. This is what it says. This is a prophecy that was given to the Israelites, to God's people. It says, after he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied by his Knowledge my righteous servant will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will give him a portion among the great, and he will divide the spoils with the strong. Because he poured out his life unto death, and he was numbered with the transgressors. For he bore the sin of many, and made intercession for the transgressors. So there's this prophecy that there will be this servant who unjustly dies, is murdered because of the transgressions of others. And for us, understanding and for these people during this time, piecing these things together, they know that the servant pointed to Jesus who was crucified, who was 
put up on a cross, was guilty according to human perspective. But I want to look into that because Jesus died on a charge of which he was actually innocent. I want to I want to pull a few quotes without actually going to Luke chapter 23. Let's 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 set this scene up in terms of of, of Pilate, this high-ranking Roman official and this mob of a crowd who is making accusations about Jesus and who he was. An accusation in Luke 23 that the crowd makes, they say, we have found this man subverting our nation. He opposes payment of taxes to Caesar and claims to be Messiah, a king. It's really interesting when you actually read the Bible as a whole and you realize that, did Jesus not pay taxes or something? Why are they making this accusation? But earlier, there's a point in Scripture where Jesus says, actually, when it comes to taxes, you render to Caesar what's Caesar's, but you also render to God what's God's. And for these people during this time, when you say that you're going to render to God what is God's, meaning God is higher in authority than Caesar, than any human ruler, that becomes a very threatening narrative. That becomes a narrative that says, whatever you're trying to advocate for, by you saying you're an advocate for God and you are the Messiah, that is threatening our Roman rule and our Roman power, and we want nothing to do with it. Another accusation they claimed against Jesus was he stirs up the people all over Judea by his teaching. He started in Galilee and has come all the way here. And we know in Jesus' ministry, this is what he did. He told people about the freedom that God was giving. He ministered. He allowed people to experience physical freedom through healing. He massaged and healed people's souls, people that were broken. He gave freedom from sin and the human frailty that we're born into. People are getting set free all over the place of different things, different experiences. And they begin to follow Jesus because of his power, because of this message, this good news that he's offering. But the people found it to be so threatening, so they made these accusations. But Pilate himself, this is what he says. He's the one, he's the high-ranking Roman official who gets to decide what happens next. And in Luke 23, what does he say? He says, what crime has this man committed? I have found in him no grounds for the death penalty. He doesn't deserve, Pilate said he doesn't deserve it. So what does this mob, this angry crowd do? They put justice into their own hands. The justice that they're seeking for isn't good enough. So they decide to be God and say, you know what? Even though there's no grounds to kill him, we're going to kill him anyway. It's like Peter saying to this group of people during this time, saying, what were you doing? You went above the authority that you were fighting for by taking justice into your own hands. It's like you're a person who really enjoys laughing, and you decided to kill the art of comedy, right? If you enjoy laughter, if you enjoy being joyful in the, the freedom and the, the laughter and the things that come with comedy, it's like, why would you kill comedy? It doesn't make sense. Why would you want to wipe that off the face of the earth? Because you know it brings things into your life that you know deep down are good. We continue on in verse 14. It says, you disowned, he's just lecturing him, right? He's going for it. it. says, you disowned the holy and righteous one and asked that a murderer be released to you. Holy and righteous. Yet the guilty, was, the guilty one was set free. What is, what is Peter talking about here? Holy and righteous, first and foremost, anybody that walked and lived with Jesus understood what living as a perfect human being looked like. We read that, we get a taste of that when we read through the Gospels and understanding what Jesus did and how he lived. And as, as people that follow Jesus, this is something that people should follow very close attention to. How did Jesus react to certain situations? How did Jesus 
interfere in terms of other human authorities? How did Jesus relate to other human beings? This is very massive. But for Jesus' followers during this time, including Peter and John, who are a part of this story, advocating on behalf of Jesus, they knew Jesus to be the most holy and righteous person because they saw what perfect actually looked like in human form. But he makes reference to a murderer being released. And we know in that chapter of Luke 23, when Jesus was kind of on trial, that that Pilate asked, hey, do do you want Jesus to be free or do you want Barabbas to be free? And they said, give us Barabbas, right? We want him instead. Let him go. But it's interesting because when you actually read of what Barabbas was even on trial for, he was on trial and accused of insurrection and murder. We have a man in this community that people knew took someone else's life. People knew was stirring up the very thing that would actually threaten the powers of that day. And what did they do? They let free the person of the very thing that they were accusing Jesus of. Peter's calling out their logic and saying, this does not make any sense. The very things you were accusing Jesus of, you just let the person that actually did those things go and walk as a free man back into society. How and why has this lame man been healed? These people were probably thinking that, right? These people were probably trying to figure out what's going on here as Peter's speaking, as Peter's kind of confronting some of these different things. But once again, in Exodus, we have this story rich in the Israelites' history of understanding that there is a God who frees people from slavery. We have this prophecy where there is a God, a servant, a Messiah who comes to die on behalf of his people. And what Peter's trying to do is saying, hey, remember that story that you guys are so familiar with? Remember that prophecy that was given many years ago? Guess who fits into the picture of both of those things perfectly? His name is Jesus. He is the God that is continuing what God enforced from the beginning in terms of a plan and a solution from the brokenness that exists in this world. Peter's saying you released the very person that was guilty of the accusations you were using against Jesus. Meanwhile, we have the person, the Messiah, you've been waiting for that you decided to accuse when he was actually innocent. Anybody ever heard any bad comedians before? Yes. I think the worst comedian I've ever heard was Joe Rogan, the UFC announcer guy. So apparently the guy used to be like a, a stand-up comedian. I was like, well, let me check it out. That's how he got his career start. Literally 30 seconds in, I was like, yeah, I'm done. That was terrible. You know what I mean? It's like, but th- think about this for a second. It's like you got the source of comedy up there in front of the trial, and then you got Joe Rogan. And they're like, hey, which one do you like better? Which one do you let free? And they're like, yeah, we'll take Joe Rogan. Insert whatever bad comedian you could think of in your mind. If you're a person that enjoys comedy and they're like, this is, the whole world is dependent on the comedy of this person and the enjoyment of this person. And the worst comedian you can think of is the person that gets released. Life would be terrible. Amen? (laughs) But what is Peter doing? He's pointing to this whole idea. The source of life, the source of power, the one who brings purpose and hope into your life. He was up there 
And you made accusations that weren't true because you were blind to the truth that was in front of you. And you released the very person you were accusing those things for. You know what the difference between right and wrong. But you are not able to see it in front of you. He continues on in verse 15. Peter says, you killed the author of life. But I love this. He says, but God raised him from the dead. We are witnesses of this. The author of life killed. There's some irony in that, right? That everywhere Jesus went, he initiated life and new life. Once again, where things were broken, he would fix those things. Where things needed healing, he would mend those things. Where things felt dead, he would minister through his words and through his deeds and allow life to be birthed. That's why the Bible talks about a new life in Jesus, a new birth. He takes the old life where we're stuck in the world and the reality of our own vices within this kind of cosmic narrative that we don't understand or have trouble relating to. And what he does is he brings new purpose and new life and says, in me I will give you a new birth. He resets life, allows the mistakes of the past to not be held over us, and even allows the mistakes of the present, come on somebody, to not be something that looms over us. He sets us free from that bondage and allows us to take step by step every day and walk in that freedom and grace that he offers. Peter's saying you killed someone that did so much good for the world. It's like you killed the source of comedy, right? You idiot! If you like comedy, you just killed the source of comedy. You should understand that you made a massive mistake. But then the narrative goes on and it finishes, right? It's by faith in the name of Jesus. He starts bringing purpose and understanding to how this went down. How did this actually happen? He's done lecturing them. He's done getting the point across. And in my opinion, I feel like Peter did a pretty darn good job in terms of their level and how they related to the world and how they related to God as God's Jewish people. He says, by faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. That's how. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has completely healed him, as you can all see. What's the biggest difference here? It's through through the faith in the name of Jesus. Other names used in magic would actually keep people enslaved to the name itself. People were in bondage to the authority of that God and whom they were calling upon to see supernatural power break out into the present. And I love it. What Jesus, or what Peter's illustrating with Jesus is just by the mention of his name, his message, his good news. Rather than people being slaves to those very name, that name brings the freedom that each and every one of our souls and our human experience is longing and aching for. He says that very name brings a power that is different than any name that could exist in our culture and society today. This name is different, and I, as a person with that authority, operated in that name, but you got to know it has nothing to do with me, and it has everything to do with him. The credit is his. The credit is due for him. The name of Jesus makes people grow up, makes people who are broken whole, Rinses us, renews us, allows us to stand on our feet again. For this man, this was literally 
what happened to his life. Morally, spiritually, personally. And this is the announcement and the power of what Jesus was announcing through the message of himself. That his message, his name is one that brings good news. It's one that stirs a positive buzz wherever it manifests or plants itself in any city or community or really any place where people choose to gather. Where God's message go, it brings forth change, transformation into how people relate to what is good in this world. Believing in him and in the power of his name is the way to to wholeness in the 21st century and even in the 1st century. That same name, that same power, that same message is just as relevant in our present day than it was on that day when Peter said, in the name of Jesus of Nazareth, get up and walk, and this man's life was changed forever. Jesus allows our lives to be changed forever. From a human perspective, during a very culture culture time when it, a lot of culture was based on a very honor and shame type of society. One of the most shameful things that could possibly happen to a human being was someone being crucified. It was public. It was a spectacle. Jesus was flogged. He was mocked before they even hung him on that cross. And through the excruciating experience his physical body had to endure, they topped it all off by making a public spectacle of him, putting him up on that cross, beaten and battered flesh falling off the sides of his body. That word crucify comes from the human word or the word in Latin that is excruciating, right? This was one of the most excruciating ways to die. But it was also extremely shameful. And from a human perspective, what these people did to this so-called Messiah is they put him up on the cross to die one of the most shameful deaths. But as we know, the story didn't end there. Because three days later, this so-called Messiah was exalted by God by being raised up through the resurrection power of God. Where there was shame, you know what God did instead? He chose to bring honor to his son by resurrecting him from the grave. And here's what's so amazing about today. As people living in human bondage and coming to grips with the fact that we fall short of perfection and glory, that when we give honor to Jesus' name, resurrection power is invited. That when we choose to do what God did, and a God that people thought and had a perspective and saying, he's dead. We put him in the grave. And God said, let me do the old switcheroo trick on you and let you understand maybe what you just did. He resurrects him and honors what was meant to be shameful. Sometimes as humans, we experience so much shame, but I love it. God promises that when we begin to live our lives in a way where we give credit where it's due and we begin to honor God, miraculous, supernatural resurrection power becomes available to us in the human experience today. I am a product of saying Jesus has changed my life because I know Even though physically I didn't experience a huge manifestation of physical healing like this lame man did, 
you better believe there was things in my heart when I said, Jesus, I'm going to start to give you honor, that God began to heal and knit and put back together. And that process continues each and every day. I lean into his grace and his love. This morning, I just believe church is supposed to be practical. So I just want us to ponder on what we want to walk away with today. Who are you like today? Because we got a story on our hands. we got a lot of truth and power wrapped up in all this. But I just truly believe this morning, you probably typically fall probably into two groups that are kind of illustrated in this story. And the first group being this, the Israelites. Are you like the Israelites as we read through that story, right? Are you a person who's familiar with God? I love how this audience that Peter is speaking to, once again, weren't people on the outside, weren't sinners, weren't secular people, weren't whatever you want to categorize as people other than yourself. They weren't those people. He's speaking to the heart of God's very own people, the ones that claimed God, the ones that equivalent to today claim the title of Christian. Come on, somebody. He was calling out those very people, and this is what he was calling out. He was saying, we are going to confront you here. Not the so-called sinners. We're going to confront and make sure you understand and know who your true Messiah and Savior is. The heart of God says honor to God sometimes doesn't look like praying in the corner and then being a jerk to everyone in your actual life. He's saying, actually, that doesn't bring honor to my name. You know what brings honor to God's name as a Christian when we use that title? What brings honor is when we actually look like Jesus. For some of you in the room today... You understand that you do not look like Jesus in some of your relationships. Family members, people that you're close to are desperate for an illustration of Jesus. And your thought process is, is I can just go off and do spiritual things. And then when I actually confront these people, not act like Jesus whatsoever. But that does not bring honor to Jesus' name. He did not die for us to be religious people. He died for us to take the religious things and attributes about what it means to follow a God and merge those with the reality that when we look like Jesus, that's what gives us the authority to walk and be actual Christ-like Christians. That contrast was happening for these very people. These people should have been people that were connected deeply to understanding this God they had followed historically for years, but they were disconnected and their culture got the best of them. Is our culture getting the best of us, church? If you're a person that maybe wears that title as a Christian, come on. Are we actually giving honor to God by living and breathing and allowing God to transform us to look more like him each and every day? Because the closest people might get to Jesus in a day where people are flocking from the church might be you in the midst of your relationships, in the midst of your family experiences. And there's a second group of people in this story we might relate to might be like the man who was healed. Maybe you're a person that you've never had an orientation towards God. Maybe you're a person that you think about the church or you think about Christians and it kind of irks you because maybe there's been some abuse. Maybe there's been some bad experiences. But God wants to just look you, confront you today, and allow his love to cover over you. He wants that faith that maybe has died in your life to maybe come alive again. 
He wants you to be that person that's looking for a miracle, that's looking through breakthrough in your life, maybe that feels a little bit stuck and he wants to speak into those areas of your life today. And trust me in this. When you, when you choose to step into those things and you choose to say, okay, God, I think I'm going to honor you, God begins to do something miraculous with your life. God begins to take areas that maybe were lame, that need to be healed, and he begins to heal them. He begins to bring those areas of your life where you're like, this is a failure, this is that. We begin to categorize things on a human level, and God says, let me blow your mind. As a person who's a product of not having a biological father in my household, I had everything against me that said, these are the lame areas of my life. And I love it because God has walked me through a healing process in the most broken areas of my life. He has patched, mended, and led me to a place in a journey of healing where I get over myself, my sorrow, my brokenness, and I learn that I can actually make a difference in this world simply by serving people in the way that Jesus serves and loves. God is inviting us on a journey. But for some of us this morning, we're going to fall into either one of those camps. We may be a person that we've been following God, we've been following that title, and we need a little bit of perspective shift because the world is demanding us to not just talk about faith, but to live it out, to be Jesus to people that need love, that need grace. And for some of us, maybe we've been on the other side of that where we've been in touch with some pretty angry church members or people or people that use the title of Christianity and abuse it. And Jesus is inviting us and you into a journey to say, say, today is a new day. Today is a day where the church will be the church and we will rise up and be difference makers in our community and actually allow us to get back to a place where people aren't running from church people, but people are running towards it and understanding this is the difference maker that makes the world a better place in the day and age that we live in. Amen. I want to invite the worship team back up and can we, can we close our eyes and Bow our heads this morning. This morning, I want to give opportunity. You may be a person in the room that you feel like that lame man once again, and you feel like out of identifying with anybody in this story that you feel like maybe God hasn't had your back, or you feel like people on behalf of God haven't had your back. You feel like, you feel like a person who who has felt on the outside of this thing called church, or the way to relate to a higher power in this life. And, and truly, I believe this today. God wants to look you in your heart, in the eyes, and just say, I'm here. I've been chasing after you. And although there's human error, there's human imperfection, I am the one who wants to bring truth, brings meaning, bring authority, bring a newfound life, bring a new birth into your life. So with every head bowed, every eye closed, I just want to give opportunity as we close today, with nobody looking around, in a moment of privacy, and you're just saying, Pastor, will you pray for me as I make a decision just to say, you know what, I'm giving up. Lord, I'm giving you honor. I'm giving credit where it's due. I'm done doing life on my own. And so with nobody looking around, if you're a person you're just making that decision today, just lift your hand in the air and saying, I'm, I'm making that decision for the very first time. I see that hand right there. I see that hand in the back. Anybody else, you're just saying, it's time to give up. It's time doing life my way, and it's time to give credit where it's due. Giving credit to the source, giving back to the source. Second question is this. You may be a person you're saying, I'm that. I'm, the, I'm, I'm God's people. I'm, I'm maybe the one that has carried the title Christian, but I haven't carried my weight because I'm realizing that people don't look to me like Jesus. Actually, people are maybe distancing themselves. 
Maybe there's a misalignment. Maybe, maybe you're a person where you've got caught up in terms of the culture and it's really diluted the love of Jesus in your life. And you're just saying, Pastor, would you help me as I repent? And I'm just saying this morning, I'm, I'm joining my hand, my broken hands in the air. Come on, somebody who's asking for repentance today. So if that's a person this morning and you're saying, that's, that's me this morning, help me in that. Just lift your hand in the air as we just pray and we close this morning. Yeah, hands all over this room. Well, Lord, thank you for your forgiveness. Lord, thank you that your word says your mercies are new every morning. Lord, thank you for salvation this morning. Lord, thank you for a new start and a new day. Thank you that this whole room has an opportunity to start fresh as we ponder the things of you. And thank you that we can understand in our city there is work to be done and that we have the opportunity to be a part of it. So, Lord, with all the praise reports we've been seeing in terms of how our church has been spread out, would it continue to multiply, Lord God? Would needs be met left and right? Lord, we're just so thankful for your power, your presence today, and the newness that you're offering us. Lord, we don't want to leave this room going through the motions, but we want to leave this room understanding that, Lord, you're doing something. You're stirring up something new, and you're stirring up something so deep within us beyond comprehension and words. So, Lord, we give ourselves to you, and we give you the praise that you deserve. In Jesus' name, whatever we say.